you know, we've had since the beginning of time, our species is 300,000 years old. We've had these intimate relations with wild animals. That's been cut off for most people in the last, you know, few hundred years, completely cut off. But it was so fascinating for me when I started to reestablish some of these relationships with these wild animals in the in the water here. I noticed some of my human relationships changing. I wasn't as reliant on those human relationships. I could draw so much appreciation and love from these wild, the wild kin, that it took pressure off some of the human relationships. It's quite fascinating to watch that process. And it, it kind of makes sense if we've done this for so long and we've had this uh, multiplicity of relationships with other species, you cut that off, then you of course are going to rely more heavily and put more pressure on your human relationships. Greetings and a warm welcome to Intersections, where our quest is to bring inner mastery in contact with outer impacts. How can we dissolve the different boundaries that we at times impose in our lives and discover the essence, the truth in everything by being open to borrowing from different traditions and different paths? Today, I have the immense pleasure of having in our midst someone who at some level you might consider to be the diametric opposite you know, of the kind of life that I live. For instance, I am here in New York, surrounded by all of the urban fanfare and the razzmatazz of a you know, you know, bustling metropolis. And we have in our midst, Craig Foster, who has really embraced um, a path of attunement to nature, of going into the wilds, almost like in the direction opposite to what modern civilization has taken. Craig is one of the world's leading natural history filmmakers. He's widely known for his documentary, My Octopus Teacher, for which he won an Academy Award in 2021. He's the co-founder of the Sea Change Project, a nonprofit dedicated to protecting marine life and raising awareness of the importance of the kelp forest in South Africa. He has co-authored a beautiful coffee table book called The Underwater Wild, and he's dedicated to learning the secrets, among others, of the great African sea forest. You will see he has such a keen just interest and passion for biodiversity more broadly. But in that great African sea forest, uh, through regular intensive immersions, he has uncovered such a beautiful range of new animal behaviors and species. Great pleasure and privilege, really, to have you in our midst today. Thanks very much for joining us, Craig. Oh, lovely to talk to you, Hitendra. Thanks for having me on your show. You know, I have to start by just commenting both by the conversations that I've had with you and the uh, presence that you bring to the movie. There's a certain really very soothing peaceability to your nature. Is that something you've you always had? I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, sometimes I don't uh, always feel... Uh, uh, that peaceful. But I guess uh, if you have the privilege of spending quite a lot of time in wild nature, uh, it does calm one down a lot. Um, so perhaps that's had some uh, influence. I think in my younger days, when I was more disconnected from nature, I was, I was certainly more anxious, more tense. But as I've got older and just spent more time in the wild, perhaps uh, that's helped, helped that you know, more calmness coming into the into my being. Ah, yeah. Yeah, thank you for sharing. That's beautiful. So 
I know there's so much, you know, to unpack here in your very rich life. Perhaps we can start with this one chapter where you spent all these years uh, working with the San Masters of the Kalahari. You shared some of the very transformative lessons you learned while you were with them. So can, can you give us like a flavor, you know, especially recognizing that, you know, our listeners here might be people for whom that is such, you know, big leap to take to think about sort of spending not just a, you know, a, a quick, uh, you know, African safari kind of trip, but really kind of investing deeply in living, engaging, connecting with and learning from the, the tribes and the, and, and the people of the wild. So could you share a little bit about sort of what was the experience like and what in particular was transformative for you about that? A great question, yes. I mean, what is interesting, you know, I spent uh, many, many years uh, in nature, um, when I went and met these amazing San people in the Kalahari, and I thought I had a good sense for nature, and um, <laughs> and it was actually quite a frightening experience because I soon realised just how little I knew, and you know the the this intense tracking abilities, um, the uh, the ability to understand bird language and predict where predators were moving just this extraordinary knowledge of the detail of wild nature. And it was both very exciting and then very disturbing for me because I realized very quickly that I was outside of wild nature and they were right inside. And something in, inside me desperately wanted to also be inside nature. I realized that, you know, for most of our time, our species on this planet, has been right inside nature, completely enfolded with the wild. I realized that um, this was something that was quite radically missing uh, in myself. And I, I didn't know how at the time, this is a long time ago, I didn't know how to get inside. I was busy making these films. I was you know, photographing a lot of wild animals, even you know, diving with incredible creatures, but I wasn't immersed inside that wild world. I couldn't speak that ancient language um, that's connected to tracking and deep observation. And it took a long time to think, okay, now I'm going to stop most of uh, everything I'm, I've been doing and just focus on see if I can, you know, uh, get inside. And it was uh, quite a frightening thing to do. And I, I knew I had to do it in a place that was familiar to me, so I had to do it in the ocean. I'd grown up as a small child from, you know, literally the first few days of my life being introduced to the ocean by my, my parents. And we grew up below the, the high water mark, right in the force of that great Atlant Atlantic Ocean. So that's what the place that I felt most connected to. So I knew I had to immerse in the ocean. Uh, you, uh, you know, it was would be too, too difficult to start on land. It takes you know so many years to immerse and be a good tracker and to understand deep nature. So I set out in the ocean and it was very, very difficult at first. But you know, after a long time, I, I got I got some results. Wonderful. There are so many uh, pieces to the story you've just shared that um, sparked me. This idea that there is an appreciation and an engagement we can have with the world from the outside. And then there is that same thing that we can do 
at a much deeper and intimate level from the inside. I think if we could just all just borrow that idea and, you know, look, you know, through that lens in any of our engagements, whether, I, I don't know what you think, but whether it's in relationships, whether it is in our um, engagement with societies and communities, you know, wherever we might be, to appreciate and understand the depth and commitment it takes to go even deeper into more of an inside-out view rather than just an outside-in. I think that's just so beautiful. Yeah, what is interesting, Hitendra, is that, you know, we've had since the beginning of time, our species is 300,000 years old. We've had these intimate relations with wild animals. And that's been cut off for most people in the last, you know, few hundred years, completely cut off. But it was so fascinating for me when I started to reestablish some of these relationships with these wild animals in the in the water here, I noticed some of my human relationships changing. I wasn't as reliant uh, on those human relationships. I could, you know, draw so much appreciation and love from these wild, the wild kin, that it took pressure off some of the human relationships. It was quite fascinating to watch that process. And it, it kind of makes sense if we've done this for so long and we've had this uh, multiplicity of relationships with other species. You cut that off, then you, of course, are going to rely more heavily and put more pressure on your human relationships. I love that. I love that thought. You mentioned something like this in your in the movie, how you know your engagement with those deep divings and connections with the wildlife there underwater was changing your human relationships and it was going to be one of my questions to you like how how is it changing your human relationships and you have just articulated that so profoundly that you felt loved you felt connected and so i guess from what i'm hearing from you you now re-enter the arena of human relationships without maybe you know as much of like a need to get validated or felt whole or something from how those human agents are acting with you is that is that sort of a fair because you, you feel and you feel rich you know with just the, the connection you already feel with with life and nature uh, yes i mean you, uh, you're absolutely right and if you can imagine i mean when every every child is is actually still born wild expecting a wild existence because we've had this huge history and prehistory of connection to the wild and suddenly you're faced with this um <laughs> very strange scenario where you're kind of an alien in your own world. You're not connected to your own world. You don't understand it. You can't uh, survive unless you, you know, go to the supermarket and so on. So it's quite unconsciously traumatic for the psyche. But when you start reconnecting to that and feeling that separ separateness drop away, it's very enriching for the, the being and you feel you feel the connection and you don't feel so insecure as a as a as a wild born human being mm. um, and it's, it's very enriching and and exciting so I don't know if that explains it a little bit better yeah I, I mean I, I'm I'm sensing in it almost a quality of transcendence in some ways a dissolving of boundaries between you know, between us and, uh, you know, nature around us, creation around us, sentient beings around us. Funnily enough, I mean, um, I found the same journey 
in small humble steps you know for me at this stage unfold in my pursuit of meditation you know that over time or through it I, i've just felt uh, just a deep sense of fulfillment and connection and just reassurance and and love really from the universe you know and and then it does change the nature of you know relationships and in, in the human plane as well for me so i'm sensing like for you it's almost like a meditation you know in, in my language in the way you engage with uh, biodiversity and wildlife and nature it's very much a, a meditation of sorts especially in the water it's very hard to think of anything else when you're immersed in this incredible three-dimensional liquid space and you you're studying these incredible animals you're dealing with the cold because i don't wear a wetsuit i won't have no barrier between me and the wild uh, ocean so you, you you're dealing with all these things and it's you're very focused in that present state it's you're very present it's hard to be thinking of uh the past or the future um so i guess it's my favorite meditation is tracking in the wild in the water even more so but i also love tracking on the land and in the intertidal and on the coast yeah it's a it's a full immersion in this incredible biodiverse wonderland where you know so much is mysterious we know so little but there are these amazing pieces of the puzzle that one can put together and hold on to i want to come back to the tracking you know piece i have a question for you there before we go there though uh there's something you shared a few minutes ago where you talked about the origins of your early romance with with the ocean and you shared how even just as a little baby i mean uh, you know i don't know how old you were then um there was something that your father or your parents did you know that um got you initiated <laughs> in in connecting with with the ocean can you just share that incident because it's it's beautiful sure it was kind of <laughs> i was uh literally brought brought home from the hospital i think it was like you know the day i was born we had a little wooden bungalow um that was you, you can't believe how close it was to the ocean hetendra the, the the when it was the stormy waves the the waves used to come up and sometimes break the doors down and flush into the flush the whole house out it was very very close to the ocean um it was totally it would be totally illegal to build a house that close to the ocean today so i was brought home and my father immediately took me down with my mother um to the ocean and it's it's a cold atlantic ocean it's no average temperatures about 12 degrees celsius and i was just immersed on my first day right into that water and apparently i mean i screamed any baby would <laughs> it's quite a shock but it was kind of like a a natural initiation because our whole family was so connected and loved the ocean so much and then a lot of uh, stories from my parents and grandparents i was absolutely fascinated by these rock pools and this intertidal from a very very early age from like two even from 2 years old i was in there almost every day and then i started diving when i was 3 years old by by holding on to my father's back and then he dived down and i eventually learned to to do the same thing so it's always this 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 ocean this kelp forest and this incredible um atlantic ocean has always been uh, in my life yeah what an incredible act of almost baptism in some ways um yeah 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 it's a bit like a baptism yeah 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 um so you talk about tracking i remember this moment where my family and i we are in botswana 
and we want to see all kinds of wildlife. And at some point, you know, we've, uh, you know, had a very rich experience, but we need to see the lions. You know, we haven't seen the lions. And then our guide, you know, starts to get a breakthrough. He starts to sniff something in, in the air that suggests lions are around. And then they, you know, get off the Jeep. There are two of them and kind of look at some, yeah, just minuscule detail, you know, in the sand, which we, we can't figure anything out, talk to each other in a very animated way and then do something and they do something. And then nothing happens for a while. And then some other breakthrough comes and then they do something and then nothing happens for a while. And then they do something and finally there they are, you know, they've actually tracked down the lions for us. And it was, it was a, you know, a very sublime experience. And both with the romance of being able to watch lions, you know, with, with nothing really that separated us except just a couple of feet of distance, but also the uh, respect that I gained for their craft, which um, was so, on the one hand, ultimately very logical, fact-based and precise, but also, on the other hand, it seemed to be very intuitive and it seemed to be in some ways very non-linear, you know, like, um, whereas I was like, okay, let's see if you started to come to the next milestone and the next milestone and are we getting closer and there's this logical progression that I would want, just like if I was launching a new product, you know, in the world as a business, you know, there are these seven milestones you have to go through and you have to check those boxes off. Mm -hmm. So there was a part of me that was wanting that. But from their side, I was seeing, you know, this um, also just openness and a sense of surrender. Yeah. So can you talk a little bit about tracking? And is it the case that it actually does help to exercise a part of the brain that many of my listeners and me, you know, coming from a more logical, structured world may, may find very rewarding to actually add that new dimension? Uh, you're absolutely right, uh, Hitendra. It's so interesting that you say there seemed to be intuition involved. What's happening there is they're seeing the, maybe the first signs of those lion track, but they're not exactly sure where those lions are. So what they're doing is creating like a, a working hypothesis. And then they're using that working hypothesis to figure out potential places where those lions could be. And then sometimes it's very systematic and the tracks take you to the animals. And sometimes one has to use intuition and knowledge, obviously, of the environment. Um, so it's, a, it's an amazing combination that the mind has to put in place to be able to find uh, these sometimes very elusive animals. And I mean, it takes, you know, it can take 20 years to become a really good tracker. It's not something that you can easily learn very quickly, but you can you know, if someone's interested in tracking, they can quite quickly get some results and certainly tap into some uh, part of wild nature. But when you've got guests and you're looking for uh, predators, of course, then the, the birds also tell you an enormous amount about where animals are. Uh, birds give off alarm calls, and those alarm calls and the shapes that the birds are making and where they're looking can tell a good tracker even what kind of predator uh, that is in the vicinity and how to find them and can do it from a long distance away. So um, a, a very good tracker and some of the trackers I've worked with can tell from about a, a one kilometer away um, from the ripples coming through the bird, bird language where those predators are. And it, it seems like magic, but it's actually a, an ancient, it's the most ancient language uh, that humans, in, in my opinion, can speak this ancient tracking language 
um, that's embedded in our wild psyche. How beautiful. And so you've learned this in part from seeing the craft of the, of the, of the sun masters. And then as you went into the underwater you know, world, uh, you started to apply that same discipline there of tracking. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I had this, uh, I had this idea. Of, I'd learned the essence of tracking. I by no means mastered it uh, in the Kalahari at all. And then I went back to my childhood, you know, love, the great African sea forest. And I thought just in the back of my mind, is there any way it'd be possible to track underwater? And for the first year, it was just like, well, this is totally impossible. You know, an animal makes a track and in five seconds, it's washed away by the swell. So it's like impossible. I, might, I can't even begin. So I, what I had to do was look at tracking in a completely different way underwater. In, on the land, it's the, you know, it's the tracks in the sand. It's the insect and the wind that are the timekeepers. It's a totally different story underwater. You've got uh, slime trails that I eventually saw after two years left by animals. You've got all sorts of other uh, little signs like eggs that are being laid, um, tiny marks in areas where the swell isn't. The, you know, the, the mollusks tell you an enormous amount where animals are. There are a lot of kills around uh, that tell you, say, where octopus or other cephalopods are. So it's a whole different set of rules that I had to kind of learn from scratch because nobody seems to have done much of the underwater tracking. So I had to learn from scratch, and it was really fun and interesting, but a very slow, slow process. And I still enjoy tracking on land as well, uh, but I, I enjoy the beaches and the intertidal area here, and that's where I focus the land tracking and then um, do the underwater tracking in the kelp forest. One of the very distinctive things about your process and uh, your path has been the discipline with which you have uh, repeated visitations and observations in the same, you know, in the same local area every day, again and again and again, uh, without fail. And it seems from your stories that what it did was uh, allowed you to walk into the same space, but see it with more and more refined, I guess, you know, awareness uh, than, you know, than the previous day and the previous day, suggesting that there is just so much of untapped mystery in nature than what meets our untutored eye, you know, in the very early, early days of our exposure to, um, you know, to, to any aspect of nature. That's such an important thing you've just said now, Hitendra. That, that's such a critical thing. If you really want to know nature, you know, you can be flying around the whole world to these exotic places, but it would be better to just visit your own backyard again and again and again and again. And what you'll find is like you might spend months and you've got a, a, a reasonable sense of what's going on and you can't imagine going any further and suddenly you make a massive breakthrough. And then it's the next layer and the next. And I promise you, you can spend your entire lifetime in your own backyard. And that piece of nature will keep teaching you deeper and deeper and deeper. The complexity in wild nature is more than what we could ever cope with. It's, it's extraordinary how complex and powerful it is. 
And there's something about visiting the same area and getting to know that at a very deep level that is, is in my mind, uh, you know, a very, very powerful and perhaps one of the best teachings. Ah, oh, how wonderful. How wonderful. I also love the kind of organic nature of this uh, teacher teaching student kind of process, as you've described, this notion that, you know, it's not that you necessarily have to read a lot of books or, you know, take a lot of courses in advance of just going there and just exposing and engaging and using your own powers of observation and a humble, you know, kind of curiosity and openness and, uh, you know, diligence and commitment, just doing it. And then nature just starts to, I guess, like reveal its magic to you. <laughs> it's just amazing. It's just so beautiful. It is the ultimate teacher. There's no better teacher than learning directly from wild nature. Of course, it helps a lot to have guidebooks and I've been very fortunate to have amazing marine biologists around me who've helped me tremendously. Of course, that helps so much. But the direct teaching from the wild, you know, from the, from the cold, from the weather, directly with face-to-face -face with those extraordinary animal kin, uh, there, there's nothing that can replace that in my mind. Yeah. And for our listeners, I, I want to sort of really encourage, if you haven't watched this phenomenal documentary, you know, which, as I mentioned, won the Academy Award. So I have no doubt that many of you have. But for those who haven't, do watch it. It is such a beautiful and, if you want to call it, just like freely accessible glimpse that we get into all this hard work and attunement that you have done, Craig, over the years to connect with nature, to connect with, um, yeah, those uh, wild waters and, uh, and particularly to befriend this octopus. Why is it that this octopus that you befriended that you end up calling her your teacher as opposed to, let, let's say, like your friend? Because she was just so much more than a, a friend, uh, Hitendra. She um, had such a powerful uh, influence on me. And she taught me so much about uh, her species. I mean, I, I would have thought it would be undermining in a way or dishonorable to just call her my friend. I mean, that is a friend is a wonderful thing. But... She was so much more than that. She was this real uh, teacher. And I um, you know, felt so grateful to her that I wanted to honor her. Um, you know, I just, I felt small in some ways in comparison to her. I felt she was the teacher and I was the little student uh, there. And each day was a privilege to learn more and more from her. So it was, uh, it wasn't a, you know, friend to friend kind of thing. Um, you never quite know also what a cephalopod is thinking. Their, their whole um, cognition is very different to, to humans in many ways. So I just knew that she was a, 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 this incredible teacher and that's what I, what I stuck with. And I like the idea of nature as, as a teacher. It can teach us so much about nature itself, but also about ourselves. Um, so that, that's, that's, that's why I went that route. Yeah. You know, I've been privileged to um, study and teach at a couple of the, um, you know, top universities here in America. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just so fascinating to hear you say that because, you know, here we in our more urban, modern sort of world, you know, strive to want to learn from the best of the best and more formal human terms and institutional terms. And here you are expressing the power and magic of learning from an octopus that you happen to 
just um, discover, you know, in your, you know, in your diving. So, I mean, it's, it's so incredible, so, so refreshing. And, and you mentioned at one point, you said something happens when an animal makes contact. What, you know, what was it like when you and she first came into, into real physical contact? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I, I, I remember one of my incredible San teachers um, in the Kalahari talking about this, 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 this strange thing when an animal sometimes, it's a rare thing, makes, makes contact. There's something, there's an exchange that happens. And, you know, when, when an animal trusts a human, it's, it's fairly rare for that to, to happen. But when when they do, it's a hard hard thing to describe. But for me, it was like very unexpected. But I could feel it immediately. Oh my goodness! This animal no longer feels that I'm a threat at all. It's realised that I'm no threat uh, at all, and then it can go about its its business. And that's when you get this incredible insight into this animal's natural behaviour. Because most animals, when they see humans, immediately go into defense or threat uh, posture because we are very intimidating uh, to most animals. So it's an incredible uh, privilege when that drops away and then you can just a little bit step into the secret life of that creature and get insight into this animal's extraordinary existence. So it was, yeah, it was just uh, absolutely amazing to feel that. Yeah, yeah. Well, you talk about animals getting comfortable with, with us, with humans. Let's maybe for a moment uh, talk about the flip side of that, which is us as humans getting comfortable with animals. And, you know, at one point you've shared, you said, I was diving in shallow water with 50 sharks. And each one of those sharks is a little bit bigger than me and can tear me to pieces. And there's something incredible about being in the water that you can actually be right up close to big predators and 99.9% .9 of the time, they don't really harm you in any way. Uh, they were brushing their bodies against me. And wow. Like, so mm, for those of us who are uninitiated in this, um, yeah, just uh, courageous divings into the wilderness, how do you develop that sense of trust and comfort, you know, from your side to open yourself up? Um, given, as, as, um, as you know, that a lot of our like popular consciousness around wildlife is that it is wild and it's unpredictable and they are predators and they'll bite you and strike you and eat you and all of that. that. So how do you how do you make space and open open your heart and mind to just uh, yeah just uh, trusting that you know they they will be happy to just invite you into their into the world. Yeah, it's an interesting thing that. And if you try the same thing on land with an equivalent species, uh, you, you could most probably be in a lot of trouble. I mean, you can imagine, uh, now you've just told the story of going um, into Botswana and meeting those lions. Imagine getting off your vehicle and just walking amongst them with your family. You know, it would, you, you, that's going to end badly. But you can have you can have a similar experience with similar sized animals in the waters, top predators as well, and most of the you know ninety nine point nine percent of the time, you're absolutely fine and it's very safe. 
And that's because uh, animals on land, especially in Africa, have evolved for an enormously long period of time to see humans as quite a threat. But because we haven't been in the water um, prolifically um, for, for that long, these animals don't see us uh, as nearly as much of a threat as, as land animals. And they also don't see us, our form, our shape, our smell, the way we move, they don't see us as prey. And once you get used to uh, diving with sharks, it's, it's pretty obvious that you can feel um, that they're not threatening one. Uh, and one can get very, very comfortable uh, being with them. You, you know, you don't want to take chances or uh, necessarily go in very murky water, especially with you know very big animals. That's not a good idea. You have to also be you know respectful of them and careful. For most part, they really are not interested, and they do not see us uh, as food at all. All right, right. Was there for you a leap to be made between an intellectual understanding of this versus like a lived physiological, emotional sort of mastery over? you know, over this? Or did you grow up with that sense of natural attunement and fearlessness? Um, you know, I don't say it's a complete fearlessness. Um, you know, um, there's always some level of respect and some level of fear depending upon the circumstances. Um, but I was fortunate enough to spend two years doing a film about sharks and diving, you know, free diving with great whites, with tiger sharks, um, up close with, you know, the biggest and supposedly the most dangerous sharks on the planet. And in the right conditions, when the water's clear and you're calm and relaxed and you know what you're doing, um, it can be uh, quite a safe uh, experience. I also did some diving with crocodiles, and that is a completely different wow. experience. I didn't feel that was that safe because mm -hmm. a crocodile sees a human as, as prey, as food. Uh, and I wouldn't go and do that again, but I'd gladly uh, dive with sharks um, in the right conditions. It's a wonderful experience. Um, and you know, most of the time they are uh, very gentle and um, if treated right, they you know, react, react very nicely. Let's come back to the dolphins. You know, one of the really powerful, I guess, uh, moments of inspiration for me was to see how intelligent an octopus is. And then, and you know, and you have many scenes and descriptions of uh, moments where it reveals its genius uh, that perhaps you can maybe, you know, share an example or two. But before we go there, I also wanted to uh, connect that to something that happens close to the end, you know, of your documentary where I realized that, oh, wow, so these eggs have been laid, they've been just basically protected, and now these many little baby dolphins are going to emerge, and there's really not a whole lot of, you know, at that point, support and training and guidance that they're going to get, you know, from a mother or father dolphin to a baby dolphin, and it's almost like they have to either just, like, tap their DNA, you know, their natal, native intelligence and or just 
their observational skills and their stumbles and experiments to become this kind of really, really intelligent species. Yeah. So can, can you talk a little bit about sort of, yeah, what's, what you discovered about that? Uh, yeah. I mean, octopus are, you know, supposedly the most intelligent invertebrate uh, on the planet. So for their size, you know, they're, they're highly intelligent, uh, fairly large uh, brain. Uh, but what's interesting is two thirds of the cognition is actually in the body itself. The cognition is in the is in the limbs. That's a hard one to get one's head around. Um, and one third in the in the actual brain and in the head. Um, and the animal is born with uh, an enormous amount of intelligence, and they're only living for a year, a year and a half. So that uh, evolution can happen very fast. It's an amazing strategy to sort of live fast and die young so they can survive very well in this world we have where uh, longer-lived species would struggle tremendously. But what they do is they've got this intelligence they're born with, but then they can adapt that very quickly. And you see that a lot um, when they're being threatened by a predator, like a pajama shark, for instance, they'll try all sorts of things. They'll try inking, they'll try uh, hiding, they'll try swimming. And if that doesn't work, you know, then they try the most incredibly innovative thing. They pick up, which I'm sure you saw in the film, they pick up this, you know, up to 60 uh, shells and stones, and they make this temporary armor um, that covers the outside of their body. I mean, that is just the most extraordinary thinking uh, you can imagine. Where did they come up with that? And that's a kind of last measure to try and, you know, avoid being eaten. Uh, and then just at the right moment, they will drop that armor, which is now covered with their smell. And remember, these sharks don't see so well and then move away. And the shark often goes uh, for the smell that's on the shells and then the octopus escapes. So, I mean, it's just like you can't believe that a, essentially a mollusk, it's, a, it's a, you know, a snail with a huge brain, can think so innovatively and can interact with a human and realize that a human is not a threat after a while and can also realize that some humans are a threat. I mean, in areas along the coast here where we've got a lot of fishing and people catching octopus, you, you won't see them very readily in areas where people haven't fished in marine protected areas, you can't believe the difference in the behavior. It's night and day. So these animals are highly intelligent. They can uh, distinguish between um, individual humans quite easily. Um, so they, they really are um, yeah, super intelligent. Incredible, incredible. Another aspect of that intelligence that really touched me, I don't know if you know, you'd want to call it intelligence, uh, but let me offer it up to you and see what you think, is the incredibly forethoughtful, graceful, planful in some ways, just uh, arc, you know, of that octopus that you befriended, you know, her life, uh, especially in that last chapter where she ends up, uh, you know, having this male octopus and her mate, and she has, you know, these, these eggs that emerge, she nurtures them. She um, ends up uh, depleting herself of a lot of her own energy and uh, really life. And then just kind of like gracefully departs, you know, from, from planet Earth uh, and allows herself to be fodder and food 
for the predators that couldn't really catch your life at that moment. And that capacity to be planful and ultimately gracefully, you know, exit from the stage, I thought there was something so meaningful and powerful for any or all of us to learn when we strive at times to um, lengthen our life. And of course, in many ways, in a very well-intentioned way, and it's a blessing that we live, you know, 80, 90 years today versus 30, 40 years in past, you know, as the human species. But still, I sometimes wonder when I see all of that infusion of technology and that desperate struggle by the surgeon and the physicians to try to keep, you know, the heart beating when, you know, at some point it's quite clear that, you know, this is a life that is on its way out and we can't really engage with it, therefore, in a more organic, natural way in families and communities. So anyway, I mean, that was kind of like the idea that was being sparked for me when I was seeing your commentary in a very heartfelt way with what happened to this beautiful soul, you know, the, the octopus. Yeah, I wouldn't say that that is a, a true intelligence. That That is programmed into the, the animal. Uh, when she lays the eggs, she gives an enormous amount of her actual physical body to that process um, right. she stops e she stops eating so many animals uh, do this insects do this a lot so when they actually uh, lay eggs um, then they it's the program starts to run and then they will not live for very much longer after that so it's uh, i wouldn't say it's a, a any form of intelligence or they're not thinking too much about that it's just a a process and they can become sometimes um senile in that process a lot of the cognition actually goes i and see you sometimes see an oct octopus just wandering around doing strange things and not worrying about predators or anything and you know it's right in the end stages of life wow. um, and uh the, the you know the brain's disintegrating as well so it's not necessarily that conscious of that whole process got it got it you speak about how your relationship with human beings changed as a result of your time with uh, you know with, with the octopus how was that this connection to nature itself and to these species and remember you know the film is just 80 minutes but i've spent you know years and years and years every day in the water so i've got multiple relationships with multiple species um, not necessarily as intimate as i had with uh, the octopus but you develop the this connection and this knowledge of all these animals and it's more the the combined effect of that 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 breaks down this this feeling of being separate from the the natural world you kind of have this realization oh my goodness all of us even if we live in a in the middle of a city we are completely woven into the fabric of wild nature Every single breath we take, every mouthful of food, every ray of sunlight is thanks to, to her. Like every moment that we've ever existed on this planet is thanks to the mother of all mothers, which is wild nature and biodiversity. I mean, you know, and the ocean and the land share share this very powerfully we can breathe because of the phytoplankton in the ocean and because of the trees on land and the insects and, and it just goes on and on and on it's in this incredible complex web of wild animals that's keeping us alive from second to second no matter where we live and it's easy to forget that 
Uh, and that was a very powerful thing that I, I, I realized through my octopus teacher, but also through the greater biological intelligence of that great African sea forest. You can literally sometimes, just in these tiny moments of grace, you can feel that giant biological intelligence just functioning, functioning and giving rise to life, 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 supporting life. Even though there are a lot of predations and animals living and dying, overall there's just a sense of fecundity and life-giving force. And that's what she's been given us, giving, giving us for 300,000 years, she's been giving our species life. And we've forgotten that she's the mother of all mothers. And we desperately need to look after her if we want to keep existing on the planet. It's absolutely the most crucial thing we can do is keep biodiversity together. And the best way of doing that is by leaving her alone and not extracting a lot of animals or plants from a wild system, not polluting that wild system, etc., etc. Uh, it's quite simple. We, many of the human uh, interventions don't work very well because she's too complex for our tiny minds. But if we leave her alone, she, that biological intelligence flourishes and, and she knows what to do. So it's quite a powerful thing when you immerse in nature and this hits you in your emotional being, in your spiritual being even. Uh, it's, it's a profound transformation and a change and you, 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 you feel uh, what I call the heartbeat, that, that ancient heartbeat of that, that wild essence that's just beating outside and inside our bodies because we are wild nature. We are wild ourselves. We've just been tamed by the strange experiences we had, but just under the skin, we wild as well. In the last few minutes, uh, Craig, and you know, I'm so grateful for this this time with you. Can you share what your current passions are in advancing this celebration of biodiversity? Uh, what are like the projects that have the deepest meaning for you today? Uh, thank you, Hitendra. Um, I'm now writing a book, a non-fiction book, trying to articulate uh, many of these incredible stories and experiences I've had in the Great African Sea Forest and these wonderful um, people that I dive with and they've also taught me so much. And then, of course, celebrating these wild animals and these wild plants um, that live in this environment, but also acknowledging our ancestors and especially our African ancestors, because we are, we come from Africa, every single one of us that has ever walked this planet, we go back in time, uh, has a common African family. We, 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 we made in Africa, we African made for about two thirds of our time that we've been as a species on the planet, we've just been in Africa. Only relatively recently uh, did we migrate to the rest of the world. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm interested in honoring our African ancestors and this extraordinary path that they followed and the incredible innovations that they invented that 
that make a huge difference to our lives today. So a hundred thousand years ago on this coast here, they were the most unbelievable inventions that really the, the genesis of art and science that make such a big difference to us today here. So I'm interested in that. And also I'm interested in uh, honoring and learning from indigenous people in Africa, but in the rest of the world. I think we face massive challenges as a species today. And I think quite a few of the answers to the challenges we face lie within indigenous knowledge. You know, if you look around the world and places where indigenous people have are living and have had some power over what they, you know, would say in, in what's happened, those areas are, are often thriving in a, in, a, in a much better way than other places. So we really need to listen to our indigenous people and to indigenous cultures. They are still connected to nature. They're still connected to the mother of all mothers. And we desperately need to listen to them and also, of course, to our scientists. Some of our great scientists know so much about the wild and they've been trying to tell politicians for a long time that, you know, you really need to... Uh, to, to look after nature in, in a far better way. So these are the kind of things I'm, I've been focusing on. I'm interested to eventually develop a lot of these ideas into an app where people can go to be inspired to reconnect with deep nature and learn about tracking human origins, indigenous cultures. So that's on, on the cards for later. And I want to try and do that within the Sea Change Project, which is our wonderful NGO. Um, and and just yeah just also of course try to to just keep working at my own relationship with the wild and keep tracking every day if i can because i'm you know i've got so much to learn and it's just i just feel there's this enormous mystery and then this little amount <laughs> that that i know and, and that is inspiring in itself you know you're walking in this uh, mysterious extraordinary space but um, just learning a little bit each day and trying to put those those little dots together and, and, and using mostly nature as the inspiration and as my teacher. Yeah. Well, those are very beautiful and bountiful initiatives that you've taken on. So kudos and um, very much looking forward to seeing where you can take not just yourself, but uh, but all of us uh, through your through your travels. Um, and I'm, I'm so grateful that uh, in you, we find someone who both has invested in your own personal immersion in nature, but also has a very, you know, special gift of being able to come out from it and draw observations and enclose them in words, you know, the stirrings that you must feel within uh, the the insights and the light bulbs that must go on uh, within you to actually include them in this very imperfect and finite construct of words, you know, in a way that is really evocative, really beautiful. It's almost like poetry, you know, in, in the way you reflect and comment. And, um, and that's a special gift, you know, the fusion of that lived experience and attunement, but also the capacity to step out and offer it in such beautiful yeah, just uh, brushes of your yeah, verbal strokes. So so thank you for that. It's very kind of you. Thank you, Matendra. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, as we wish you well in, in your journey forward, uh, Craig, I'm uh, just inspired to offer you this one quote from Yogananda, 
you know, a spiritual master I've, I've gained so much from because it uh, speaks so much to the way you are celebrating and inviting us to, you know, Mother Nature, you know, and, and, and he said once, he said, the magnificent painting of creation stretches across the infinite canvas of time and space. Every object and event in nature is a masterful stroke of the great painter. Wonderful. Absolutely yeah. wonderful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, Craig, you know, thank you so much for, for all you're doing to open our eyes up to the richness of just life at its essence, at its simplest essence, to make us you know, realize that um, in this ever complicated world, there are choices we can make to actually you know, like pull away from some of the usual trappings of everyday life, to get to connect with the free gifts you know, of the planet, you know, with, in a sense with God's, you know, with God's earth, you know, in, in the way it has you know, just natively been offered to us and feel so enriched and stimulated and guided, you know, just, just by that. So that is what I see as the true lesson in your story for us. And I'm, I'm so grateful for that. Oh, it's a great pleasure. I mean, it just, uh, the image that came to me when you uh, spoke that beautiful quote was, <laughs> I've often had the sense with, you know, beautiful octopus moving and it's changing its colors, sometimes a thousand times in, a, in an hour or even more, and each color change is this master artwork. This is like, you know, and the whole of nature is really, it is really like that. If we, if we, if we open, it's just the most extraordinary thing. You know, each sunrise, feel the, as we feel the earth tilting forward and, and that, that, that incredible sun rising up, it's just, if you really step into the mystery and power and wonder of that, it's just, it's almost too much to, to take in it is too much to take in um, but that is the, the the wonder of of wild nature and and the wonder of this planet is overwhelming yeah yeah i love that triad that you've just left us with in closing the mystery the power and the wonder of, of nature how, how beautiful craig so wishing you all the best in uh what i know will continue to be a very rich life and one that will bring so much of riches to us as well and look forward to, I hope, having you back on this show at some point in the imminent future. But before we maybe come to that, is there a place that I can, you know, invite our listeners to go to if they want to tap a little bit more into the latest, the newer kinds of, uh, yeah, findings, discoveries, and you know, creative outputs that you're putting out there? Uh, thank you, Tendra. I think uh, one of the best places to go is the Sea Change Project. It's www.seachangeproject.com. That's our website, and there's a, a, a lot of lovely material on there, and we'll be developing that more and more as we go along. And then I think the book you mentioned, Underwater Wild, which is out in uh, America and other countries at the moment, there's quite a lot of deeper insights into uh, the experiences. And then you know, I'm writing this book at the moment, uh, which will be out with Harper Collins. Uh, in a year or so, so um, you know that, that it, it's slowly, slowly. These things take uh, quite a time. I'm not the fastest producer, but hopefully, um, uh, there'll be. I'll have the inspiration to just keep going and chip away, and and have these products slowly coming out. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, thank you for sharing those. Yeah, again, wishing you Godspeed and all the best. And uh, thank you again for joining us today, Craig, and and the beautiful life you lead and the the work you do. Lovely chatting to you, Hedendra. Bless you. Thank you.